El Salvador, a country of beauty, wonder, and bones, 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 bones everywhere. You're like, what? I live there. I don't see a lot of bones. It's because you're not looking hard enough. There's bones everywhere. And then we travel to Missouri to take a look at a military installation that is so haunted the U.S. government has decided to leave it unguarded at night because anyone who walks the grounds after the sun sets is attacked by angry ghosts. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day, too. I hope you guys are having tons of fun doing whatever you're doing out there in the world, whatever it is, big or small. I hope it's fun. Actually, I hope it's big. I hope it's not so you're just having small fun. You're like, oh, man, you wish those other people big fun. I hope you, everyone's having big fun. <laughs> That's not even a thing. Hey, man, how was your day? Oh, it was big fun. Someone who always has big fun. <laughs> That's my new catchphrase. I want to make a show that says big fun. Someone who always has big fun walking into Dead Rabbit Command right now is another one of our Oregon Ghost Conference attendees. Everyone get on your feet and give a round of applause for Sammy. Woohoo! Yeah! Wee! He's coming on in, Sammy. Walking on into Dead Rabbit Command. He's wearing one of my brand new shirts. Sammy, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the show financially through the Patreon or attend a live event, that's totally fine. It truly is. I really do appreciate it. Anything you do to help the show grow, and one of the ways you can do that is by spreading the word about Dead Rabbit Radio. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell everyone you know that the Fluffle is accepting new members. (laughs) And then they're like, what's a Fluffle? What are you talking about? Is this some weird cult you joined? And you're like, kind of. Tell them about joining the Fluffle. Tell them about listening to Dead Rabbit Radio. Sammy, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the hair hang glider. Let's jump off the highest point of Dead Rabbit Command Glide us all the way out to El Salvador. El Salvador. We're one of the biggest podcasts in El Salvador, which I love, which is amazing. I find that completely humbling. We're consistently the number one science podcast in El Salvador, which is pretty dope. But I never get to find good stories from El Salvador to cover. I actually had a contest a couple of years ago and said, send me your stories. I got one. It wasn't even from El Salvador. It was an urban legend about a man who had sex with a donkey. I mean, again, that's not what you want to represent your country. You're like, yay, look it. We're going to be on this podcast. It's about a man who banged a donkey. You're like, oh, man. It's about a man who had sex with a donkey and the donkey gave birth to a half human, half donkey person. And it was, what it was, was a photo of a deformed donkey. <laughs> I mean, again, it's not, not best, putting your best foot forward there, El Salvador. It was the photograph of a deformed donkey that was viral. And it turned, I covered it and said, well, this is the only story I could find. One of you guys sent it into me, even. And then it turns out that it was, <laughs> can you believe this? It wasn't real. Can you believe that? Oh, Jason got fooled again. It wasn't a man who had sex with a donkey and gave birth to a half man, half donkey. Well, it wasn't. It was just a deformed donkey and it went <laughs> an injury to insult. It didn't even take place in El Salvador, which led all El Salvadorians to breathe a sigh of relief and go, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll be fine not taking claim to that one. Apparently, the photo itself was from Colombia or something like that. It was a viral photo that they made up this story. 
But I've constantly been on the lookout for cool stories from El Salvador to share with you guys. And I recently stumbled across one. We land in El Salvador and we're walking down the street and we like go to the local pancake house and we're eating pancakes and we're eating them up. And you're like, dude, are these like pancakes? You said in the intro, there's going to be a bunch of bones in this episode. Are these pancakes made out of bone meal? And I was like, no, I just got here a little early. We're going to eat some pancakes. So then we go and we walk around town and I'm like shopping at the mall. And you're like, you going to the bone zone? We go into that store where they sell nothing but bones. I was like, that's not a store, is it? You're like, no. I go, don't worry, we'll get to the bones. But while we're waiting, let's just go shopping, right? So we're buying a bone. <laughs> you carry all my stuff. You're like my personal assistant. I'm walking around. I'm buying the heaviest stuff. I was like, ooh, kettlebells. These are my favorite. We're carrying all the, you're carrying all this stuff. I'm just kind of walking down the street. And I look at my watch and I go, it's almost time. And that's when the sun starts to set. And I go, it's at nighttime when the bones arrive. Go ahead and put down all those kettlebells, all those jugs of water. I'm not even thirsty. I just wanted you to carry around a bunch of heavy stuff. Set that stuff down, good friend, and let us wait for the sun to set. And we watch the golden globe orb that gives the world life creep behind the horizon. We're sitting on this city street and, you know, all the shopkeepers are like, see you later, bro. We're like, see you later, man. And then, like, women are like rolling their babies down the street in cradles and or strollers and being like, hey, see you later, guys. And we're like, see you, good night. Good night, babies. And they're, everyone's going to bed. And now we're on the deserted street. And we're still just sitting there. And all of a sudden we hear a creakety creak, 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 creakety creak, creak, sliggle, liggle, liggle, sliggle, liggle, liggle, creakety creak, 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 swiggle, liggle, liggle, creakety creak, creak, swiggle, liggle, liggle. And you look over at me and you go, is that the bones? And I said, that's the bones. And I go, I don't hear anything. Criggle, criggle, criggle. I forgot what the sound effects I did, but more of those sound effects. And you go, dude, I swear I can hear the sounds of bones. And I go, I can't. What are you talking about, dude? I can't hear anything. And you're like, the bones. You don't hear the bones? They're getting closer. Crickety, creak, creak, swiggle, swiggle. Swiggle, swiggle. And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. But then I kind of turn away from you and I'm like, oh no. What have I done? I kind of started laughing. <laughs> I kind of started chuckling. You're like, what? The sound of the bones is deafening in your ears. You're like, oh, why do I listen to this podcast? Am I eternally cursed? We are in El Salvador to check out the story of... La Careta Chilona. La Careta Chilona. And if you don't know Spanish, or if you do know Spanish, you're like, I kind of I kind of can figure out what he's trying to say. It's not how you pronounce it. La Careta Chilona. This is a bizarre local legend. It's actually really popular over in El Salvador. The story goes like this. A long time ago, we don't have a specific year for when this started off, but we're talking a little bit after the Spaniards had come to South America and they begin conquering. And past that, at this point, they're kind of setting up. They're building the... Remember in, in middle school when you guys had to build the missions? Remember when that was your job? They're like, okay, fifth graders, get those bricks together. Make those adobe bricks. No, when I was in middle school in California, 
we had to build little missions, little Catholic churches out of like gumdrops or marshmallows or whatever. Like we was like an art project and a social studies project. We would build these missions and then we would turn them in. Remember that? Remember that? That's all that I got from that lesson. I was like, I don't know what year it took place. I don't know anything else about it. But when the Spaniards came over and they spread Catholicism to the new world, they built a bunch of missions. And then the, the, the friars like, and someday children all over America will build these. Maybe they don't do that in Missouri. I wonder if they learn... We learned about how to build a mission out of marshmallows. <laughs> They're like, there's a little note. It's like, no, this is not what they actually used back then. Do not try eating a mission. In middle school, we learned about the missions and we learned about the Oregon Trail. But I wonder if they talk about the Oregon Trail in Nebraska. Because they'd be like, huh, what? What's Oregon? Is that, is that some other country? No, no, that's a state, Nebraskans. Like, do you learn? Because there's only so much history you can learn in any given time period. But that time period, which <laughs> I'm even more confused now. Wait, what? The story takes place in the 90s? What? I don't know when the story takes place. The story takes place back when they were building missions out of brick. You're like, Jason, that's still like a huge time span. Well, anyways, in El Salvador, there is a guy, he came over from Spain, named Terranico Perez. He came over into South America, he made his way up into El Salvador, and he's, he had, listen, man, he had stars in his eyes. He was like, you know what I want to do? I don't want to just be some dude nobody remembers. I want to be rich and famous. <laughs> best to just be sitting in El Salvador post-conquest, right? There's not a lot of, like, tabloids out there. He's sitting in El Salvador. He's like, I'm a big shot. I need to be someone that everyone likes. But, you know, you're, you're part of an invading army. You're not super popular with the locals. And no one knows you from dirt, like all the other Spaniards don't really know you. Well, he ends up teaming up with this guy named Juan Tepa, who is a native man in El Salvador. And Juan and Terenquio start hanging out. And Juan's like, hey, dude, you are my best friend. And Terenquio is like, yeah, I think you're my best friend, too. And Juan goes, because you're such a good friend, I'm going to teach you some stuff. You see that plant over there? See what I'm pointing at? That salamander sitting on top of it? Take a bite out of the plant. And Tarinkio's like, oh, okay. And he's like, nom, 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 nom. He's eating it up. And he's like, wow. All of a sudden, my gout went away. His knees instantly start going, and Juan goes, yes, that's the power of native medicine. We have all these herbs. We have all these herbs and spices everywhere. Hopefully the colonel never comes down here. We have all of these green bushes and stuff that you can eat. Or grind it up into a paste and like rub it behind your ears. We got all this great stuff and it really worked. And Tarikio is like, oh dude, this does work. He's constantly like rubbing it everywhere. He's eating all these plants. And he's like, I'm the healthiest man alive. And Juan's like, yeah, this is the power of native medicine. Well, what Tarikio does is he decides to take old-timey native medicine and market himself as a healer but he doesn't go to the natives to heal them because if he's like grab this plant and i'm gonna rub it behind your eighth toenail and they're like what i know what that is my grandma used to do that what Tarinkio did was he would take this native medicine and then 
promote it to the local Spanish population. And he's like, guys, I have what ails you. You over there, do you have gout? And the guy's like, no. You have gout? And someone's like, no. And he's like, does anyone here have gout? And this old lady raises her hand. And he's like, come on up, lady. <laughs> she can't walk. Her knees are all swollen. She's like, ah, it's a long way. He's like, has this megaphone. He's talking to someone on the way back. Get up here, old lady. And then when she gets up there, he's like, eat this leaf. And she eats it and her knees go, Ear. and everyone's like, woohoo, yeah. I wish I had gout. And he begins to promote himself as a healer to the rich and powerful Spaniards. And they had no idea that this was like, not super common knowledge, but it wasn't as much. I mean, listen, if you have a disease and someone can heal it, that might be worth any amount of money. And that's what Tarinkio was charging. He was charging any amount of money you had. Where if these Spaniards had made relations, friendly relations with the local villagers and the local healers, they probably would have gotten it for cheap, if not free. Because it's nothing to them. They're like, uh, yeah, go sit in that berry bush for three hours and your diarrhea will go away. And the, you'd be like, okay, you sit in the berry bush. Tarikio would be like, if you want your diarrhea to go away, sit in the berry bush. <laughs> but it's a special berry bush that's only in my house. There's a camera in it. I'm also an upshot creep. Sit in my berry bush and I'm going to charge you like 10 gold shillings or whatever they use, crowns or francs or whatever it was, doubloons. So the point is, is that he was taking pretty common medicine practices and positioning himself as this high level expert when really it was just rubbing a couple bushes on you. Well, a plague broke out in this area that took, because I believe Tarinkio kind of moved around El Salvador. This this scam wouldn't really work if Juan was hanging out with him. And Juan's like, hey, yeah, you know, that thing, he's sitting in that berry bush. Uh, you can do that for free. And Tarinkio's like covering his mouth up. He's like, you bumblehead, you'll ruin my whole scam. I mean, whole medical practice. I think he moved away, so it wasn't that obvious. I think he wasn't in the same area. But anyways, at a certain point, he is in this area and he's charging all this money to heal all these rich people. And a plague strikes the local native population. Tarinkio knew how to fix this. He knew what the plague was. He knew that he could treat them fairly easily. It wasn't the Black Plague. It was just, it was just a plague. But he goes, I know I can fix them, but I'm not gonna. And the reason why is because they can't afford the services of the great Tarinkio. So as the natives are all like coughing and falling all over each other, he, I don't know if he was standing over there gloating. I don't know if he's like, ha ah, ha poor people die before me. But he easily could have stopped this. A bunch of people died. Tarinkio refused to help them while he was still charging huge amounts for this, for really, in all, for all intents and purposes, free medicine. He also didn't want to go out to treat them because if he did go out and start treating the natives in this area, they'd be like, oh, like, thanks for showing us the secret, but the, like the bush you used to fix us, well, there a bunch of those bushes are over there. We could have just sat on those bushes ourselves. He knew that if he treated them, not only would he not get paid, but they may reveal that this is super common. You just need to know what it is, right? These... These medicines are everywhere. He It's not like the average farmer would be like, oh no, I'm dying of the plague. My arm fell off. Let me go eat a blueberry bush. So he had a, did he did have a certain skill level to it, but the ingredients themselves were free. That's what he was selling were the ingredients, basically. So he let them all die off. And then one night, 
Tarinkio is at his house and he's sitting on a pile of money. He's sitting on a pile of doubloons. He's like, <laughs> I'm the richest man in El Salvador. And all it took, all it took was hundreds of deaths and me being a greedy jerk. And then all of a sudden the ghost of an old friend of his showed up. Back when he still lived in Spain, he used to hobnob with this dude named Frey Antolin Ovidio. And this ghost shows up and he's like, Tarinkio, what are you doing, man? Like, I thought I taught you better. Remember before you came to South America? Remember all that? Remember when we built that mission together out of gumdrops and toothpicks? We built a bond. But here you are in this new world and you let a bunch of people die for your money-making scheme. And that's just a terrible thing. So I will curse you, Tarinkio. I will curse you. You have to go and gather the bones of all those people who died because you didn't give them medicine. And then, that's not enough to rank you. It's like, okay, I know where all their bodies are. I watched them die. No, 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 no. And then you need to build a wagon out of their bones. He's like, what? That's a little elaborate. Like, I don't know how to build wagons. Silence. You're going to learn. I'm going to give you a ghost book on how to build a wagon out of bones. They're quite popular in the afterlife. You have to find all the bones, all of them, of all the people who died because you didn't save them. You have to build a wagon. And then you have to take their skulls and put them in the back of the wagon. And you, he's already picturing like a super cool skeleton horse carrying this wagon. He's like, oh, I can do this. That'd actually be pretty dope. Flames shooting out of the skull horse's head. And the ghost can read his mind. He goes, no, it's not going to be that heavy metal. You are going to pull the wagon. So this is your lot in life. And you have to do it until your mission's complete. You have to, one, build a wagon out of bones. Two, fill said wagon. Not just any bones either. I don't want you to see, see you go into the pet cemetery. You have to get the bones of the people who died because you didn't treat them. Then you have to take their skulls and put them in the back of the wagon so they clitter clatter as you're walking down the street. And yes, you're going to be carrying this wagon and you just have to do it until you find all the bones of the people who died because you didn't treat them. And Tarinki was like, no, no, I've been cursed. But you have to figure in the back of his head, he thought, first off, he thought I probably should stop sitting on those bushes. I might be having some sort of hallucinogenic drip. Also, he goes, well, that's not such a bad thing. I mean, it is horrible, right? You're damned. But he goes, maybe, you know, who, how many natives died? I don't know, a dozen? couple hundred couple hundred at most i could pick up all those bones in a short order of time but to this day we're now in the year 2023 you'll be sitting on the streets of el salvador clickety clack clack clickety clack clack swiggle 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 the swiggle 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 is the skulls bumping up against each other in the back of the wagon and the clickety clack clack clickety clack is the sound of the bones hitting the street you know, like the wheels are made of bones and the wagons are made of bones and the poles to pull the wagon are made of bones and it's full of skulls. And to this day, he's still walking, looking for the bones of all the people who died because he didn't help them. He's cursed forever. So I guess there's like one skeleton out there. I don't know, that he can't find. Some guy's like, oh, Grandpa, you died of the plague. I'm going to throw you off this cliff. I'm going to put you in a super hard place. I'll put you in a place where no wagon can ever go. In the deepest crevice in the country of El Salvador, he's still looking for the last pile of bones to complete his wagon. And 
to be saved. It's interesting because so this story is very popular in El Salvador. And you have this idea that on the one hand, it's a story like, don't be greedy. Don't be greedy, kids. It's a little esoteric for that. Kids are like, what? I'm in the seventh grade. It's the year 2023. And you're right. Maybe I shouldn't be greedy if I was a post-conquering Spaniard. And they're like, no, you should never be greedy. You should never be greedy because someday you might have to carry a bunch of bones around. And they're like, wait, no, no, that was his punishment, not mine. I'm not a doctor. I'm not ripping people off. I'm a pretty good kid. I just lie every once in a while. Don't be greedy. That's the first lesson, kids. The second lesson is don't stay out after dark because you might hear the weeping wagon. La Carata Chelona. The weeping wagon may come to get you. And you're like, wait, what? Why would it get me? And then the person's on the source, like, I don't know. It has to be spooky nowadays, too. If you hear the wagon, that means that it may be coming for you. And if you see it, your head gets chopped off and they throw your skull in the back of the wagon. You're like, what? Why me? Why me? You're sitting where in El Salvador, you're like, you see the wagon. I was like, I don't hear anything. I have earplugs in. I'm wearing a blindfold. It's like, what? What's going on? I don't see anything. And as your head's being chopped off by Tarinkio, and you're like, what? Why is my head being thrown in the back of this wagon? And you're hearing it rattle on down the street. You're like, what? What? No. <laughs> I'm laughing. You hear me laughing in the distance? Like, hey, don't worry about it, buddy. Here's a new head. I give you a new head, and you're sitting back next to me. I go, that's a weird addition to the story, right? Like, the original version was the punishment was his. But like a lot of urban legends, like a lot of these myths, there is a story to kids like, don't be out after dark, because it is da- the real world is dangerous. But if you tell a kid, well, you know, a hobo might stab you in the neck, to a kid be like, ah, whatever, I'm, a, I'm five years old, I don't know what a hobo is. Uh, you're going to find out soon, kid, when you get stabbed in the neck. That's kind like, to tell a kid that a real-world person may embed a screwdriver in their brain as they're sitting at a bus stop, I don't think a kid understands that that's possible. There, I don't, You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if that's a real-world danger, but if you tell the kid, the boogeyman might jump out from behind you at the bus stop and stick a screwdriver in your brain. They're like, oh, the boogeyman, no! I've never taken the bus again! Public transit's for losers! I think, Jason, no, you're way off. If you told a five-year-old kid they might get stabbed in the brain with a screwdriver, I'm pretty sure that's child abuse. I'm pretty sure there's, like, emotional abuse. Uh, we'll figure that out when the court catches me. But if you wrap it around a creepy story, it's more effective. Don't stay out after dark type of thing. Sammy, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Carpenter Copter. We're leaving behind El Salvador. Everyone, make sure your heads are still attached as we wave goodbye. Sammy, take us all the way out to Missouri. We're headed all the way out to Missouri. Specifically, we're headed to Fort Leonard Wood in Pulaski County, Missouri. This was built in 1940. If you're not well-versed in world history, there's a lot of wars. There's a lot of stuff going on. In the 40s. But this was before we entered the war. And it's funny because the U.S. government said, you know what we need? We need a huge training facility. Let's start building it. (laughs) 1938, 1939. And then Hitler 
invades Poland. And at that point, they're like, okay, we better start building this really, really quickly. So they're building up this base. Originally, they're like, I don't know, we could take 10 or 20 years to build this. What are the other chances of another great war happening? Well, once World War II kicked off, you imagine they are throwing the buildings together super fast. It was used as a training facility slash POW camp. The base was built in 1940. It sat on about 71,000 acres. This was a massive, sprawling base. You had the base itself, and because it was a training facility, you had this huge firing range as well. Well, one night in 1943, there was a soldier named James Clown. He was on guard duty, walking around the firing range. It was called the Bloodland Firing Range. And he doesn't report in. Right? When you're on guard duty, you're constantly like on the radio being like, everything's clear over here, boss. And the boss is like, yeah. That's the president. The president gets phone calls every single minute how everything's going at every single military base. They're constantly like reporting in. Well, he doesn't report in. So they go to check on him. It is World War II is going on at this point. Let's go make sure that our security is up to, up to snuff. They go check on him. They can't find him where he's supposed to be. Eventually, they do find him. He's inside this little building, passed out. And they're like, clown, clown, get up, get up. And he's like, ha, ha. And they're like, what are you doing? You're supposed to be on guard duty. He's like, guys, guys, you won't believe what just happened to me. And they start smelling his breath. They're like, dude, have you been drinking? He's like, how'd you know? But it's more than that. It's more than that. I was out doing guard duty at the Bloodland Firing Range. When all of a sudden, a bunch of ghosts showed up. But not just any ghosts. These were hard-drinking ghosts. And they were carrying a jug of hard cider. And I said, none for me. I'm a member of the U.S. military. Now I'm going to stay on guard duty. As he's wetting his pants, it's still a bunch of ghosts. Like, he's refusing because they're like, drink, 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 drink. And he's like, no, no, I won't drink. I I have a mission to fulfill. And he goes, they chased me down and they shoved a straw in my mouth and made me drink hard cider until I passed out. And that is how I ended up in this shed with my pants, my pants full of urine. That's the whole story. Obviously, he was court-martialed. Obviously, he was brought before a judge, and they're like, James Clown, do you have anything else to say other than your whole, I was forced to drink by ghosts? And he goes, listen, Your Honor, I'm going to tell you the truth. I was on guard duty. A bunch of ghosts showed up. The judge like, okay, stop, stop. We're not going to let you finish the story. We've heard it before. Court-martialed. He goes to jail for sleeping, well, really for getting drunk on guard duty. It used to be, in old times, if you fell asleep on guard duty, they just killed you. Right? Because that was the worst thing you could do. James, they just put him in jail. Becomes a bit of a laughing stock around the base, right? But eventually, time passes, and we're a year later. It's 1944, and Randall Ellsworth is doing guard duty. At the Bloodland Firing Range. He's not on his post. People go looking for him. They find him. Passed out. Laying in the ground in the middle of the firing range. Which is kind of the worst place to be passed out, right? I guess you would wake up when the first bullet whizzed over your head. 
but he's passed out on the firing range and they're like, wake up, wake up. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? And he's like, oh, I'll only say it once. I have ears. He goes, listen, you guys won't believe what happened. He was out doing guard duty. A bunch of ghosts showed up. They're like, wait, what? He goes, I know, I know. I personally left that clown myself. I personally, I led the booing as the court martialing was going on. I didn't believe him. But I was doing guard duty. A bunch of ghosts showed up. They had a jug of hard cider. I refused to drink. I like how they always refused to drink. If a ghost showed up with alcohol for me, I'm like, glug, glug, glug. They're like, uh, I didn't even say you could have any. I just walked in with this bottle of ghost liquor. He goes, I refused to drink. I refused it. But they put a straw in my mouth and they made me drink hard cider until I passed out. Now, he was not court-martialed because, again, the first time it happens, you figure the guy's making it up. The second time it happens, it's real. Or, or possibly, that he heard the story of the first guy and go, well, all he did was get court-martialed, right? And I don't really want to go over and fight in World War II. Maybe he made up the same story. You could argue that. But the military goes, we should look into this. Ladies and gentlemen, if ghosts are invading our base and making our men drink liquor, we should probably figure out if there's something to this. Or is this just some urban legend? Is this just a bunch of alcoholics? Then we might want to look at who we're drafting. But until then, we're not going to have any security at the Bloodland firing range. No guards will walk that perimeter. And what it turns out is... Let's go back in time a bit. Let's go back before Fort Leonard Wood stood there. It was originally a town called Bloodland. And this wasn't like ancient times. Well, it's kind of ancient times to us, but we're talking like it's the year. It's like the 1930s. And there's a town called Bloodland in Missouri. Had a population of about 100 people. These were mostly German immigrants living on this land, and life was good. And the government, the U.S. government, saw this area, and they go, this would be the perfect place to build a military base. It would take up about 71,000 acres, and we're going to have to wipe out that town. But, you know, whatever. Like, the rest of the area is pretty good. Let's get rid of it. We'll use eminent domain. We're just going to take it over. We're not going to have any of these debates or anything like that. Now, the mayor of town knew about it, and a couple other people in town knew about it, but the population itself, like the majority of the people who lived there, had no idea that this plan was going to roll out. It wasn't until October 31st when the city gathered for their huge Halloween celebration. Everyone's all dressed up. It's old-timey, so the costumes are kind of lame. Maybe there was like a Superman costume. You know, it was mostly probably people dressing up as pumpkins or someone just wearing a pumpkin on their head. People walking around in bedsheets. They're having this huge Halloween celebration. The mayor gets up on stage and goes, Residents of Bloodland, brothers and sisters, little babies, cats. I hope you guys are having fun. And they're like, yay. They're all drinking hard cider. And he's like, yes, I'm having fun too. Lots of fun on this Halloween night. I see Superman over there. Good costume. Guys, I have an announcement to make. Pretty soon, the U.S. government is going to bulldoze all of your houses, and you will all be homeless. There's nothing we can do about it. I knew about this way in advance. I've already moved. I've already moved all my stuff. 
I don't think the bulldozers are on the other side of the hill. The bulldozers are dressed up as scary monsters. But they were coming soon. He's like, listen, in a very short order, this entire city is going to be wiped off the map. Sorry, guys. I don't know why he decided to announce this on Halloween. Maybe that's the time he figured everyone was together and he could make the announcement to everyone at once. What do you think happened? What do you think happened when you informed 100 people at a party, half of them are already drunk, that they're all going to be homeless? There's a huge riot. Basically, the entire town rioted. And the mayor's like, okay, well, there's nothing you can do at this point. You guys are just kind of being brats tearing this stuff down. You're actually kind of helping. Actually, why don't you go tear down all that stuff too? That'll save the U.S. government time and money. The people rioted and they were evicted. And where the city stood, because it wasn't a big city, the majority of where the city stood is where the firing range was built. Because it was a huge firing range. And as the people were finally leaving the city... There was talk of a curse being placed on the land. That whoever resided there would fall into deep embarrassment. Which, listen, as far as curses go, that's, that's not a bad curse. If someone put that curse on you, you might step in dog poop or something like that. The curse made it so, I mean, again, like, it's kind of weak, right? But I guess, like, if you, it's not like they killed all these dudes. It's not like they killed all these German immigrants and took their land. They just kicked them off the land. So I guess that's kind of fair. Like, you lose your house and anyone who lives on that land later, every so often, they'll, like, fart loudly in public. Like, it's just an embarrassment. But that's what was happening. People were thinking, like, is this the curse? Is it that... <laughs> not the best curse in the world. It wasn't worded quite well. No one's residing on the land, but for whatever reason, every so often, these young men are out guarding this area and a bunch of drunk ghosts make the men drink, get the men drunk, and embarrass them. There's really no sightings at all of these riotous ghosts between 1944 until 1974. That's the last official sighting. That's where three guards at that point, the military goes, listen, the Vietnam War is in full swing. We probably should guard our military. We probably should have guards on all portions of our military base. Let's put guards out there, but we won't just have one of them. We'll have three guards. Surely three guards will be able to fight off ghosts, right? Because there was originally three Ghostbusters. Well, they didn't. They did have a fourth Ghostbuster. The military didn't pay that much attention to the movie. The three guards who were there that night in 1974 got captured by these ghosts, dragged around the training facility, which would be hilarious. Like, this would be a funny haunting to watch, as long as it wasn't happening to you. It'd be, actually be kind of funny to happen to you, too, right? You're getting drunk, you're partying with a bunch of ghosts. I mean, I guess, I guess they are the souls of the damned. I don't know how, I don't know how fun they are to hang out with. Like, hey, so what have you been up to? They're like, moaning, mostly. Mostly just moaning, standing behind people in the bathroom. You're like, ah, that's not too cool, man. These three guards got kidnapped by these ghosts. And, you know, they kidnapped. They just took them a, you know, a, a short distance. I don't know if kidnap's the right <laughs> Legally, it is. If you move person from one room to the other, it's kidnapping. But they took these three guards, forced them to drink. And actually, I think these guys were able to avoid getting drunk. I think these guys were somehow, maybe the three guards did help. But they didn't show, it didn't say that these three guys woke up in a stupor, were found later. But they did report that the drinking ghost came to them. 
No sighting since. This is a fascinating ghost story for several reasons. First off, this is one of those stories that I found. I was actually researching a different story that we'll cover tomorrow about Fort Leonard Wood. There was something else that really piqued my interest on the Shadowlands.net. But I always like to verify as much as I can verify about these ghost stories. So I go, let's see if this place is really haunted. And I came across this. I came across the story of drinking ghosts. And not just drinking ghosts, they're getting you drunk. There's a lot of articles on this. There's actually more articles on this than the story I'm going to cover tomorrow. But what was interesting is there's a website called militaryghosts.com. It's run by a guy named Dave Goodwin. And he did this big write-up, basically the story I just told you. And I found that same story in multiple other places. But like any good journalist, he decided to see, is this true? That's the big question, right? We believe... Well, I believe ghosts exist. You may just like ghost stories, or you may believe they exist as well. But we also want to look at the individual accounts. Are they true? Well, he tracked back this story to a woman named Joan Gilbert, who wrote a book called Missouri Ghosts. And in that book, she tracks back the story to a newspaper called The Gateway Guide, which I wasn't able to find that that newspaper still exists. It's such kind of a generic name, right? There's a couple websites called that, but it's like automotive parts or like computer gateways or something like that. Gateway Guide. The Gateway Guide published an article back on October 30th, 1975. This would have been after the last sighting. She tried to get a hold of the person who wrote the article. No longer worked there. The journalist no longer worked there because she was trying to verify it as well. And then she talked to different people of the paper and they said, we don't even remember that article being published. Like, we don't know where that article came from. It's not like a ghost put it in there. Like, and there were art cider fingerprints all over it. It floated right into the printing press. They go, we don't remember that story. We don't re really remember the journalist. So they were no help tracking this person down. We don't know if the story is true. We don't know if the story was printed as a Halloween spooky story in a local paper. Was it legit? It's interesting, we say the last sighting was in 1974, but the article telling the whole story, the whole thing I talked to you about, apparently that's the first time all the stories appeared in print together was in 1975. So the question is, is this story real? It's interesting because we do come across haunted military bases all the time. They're just as haunted as like abandoned asylums. The reason why you don't hear about them is much, like military personnel are always like, oh no, they're always haunted like every person who works on base who not every person but a lot of people who live on base or work on base they've either experienced paranormal stuff or they're secondhand they've heard stories about it you, they never show up on ghost shows right zach baggins is going to be like hey everyone look at me look at me i'm at this secure facility i'm walking around we're going to go in this place no they are not allowed to go there they go to the public access places the places that don't invite them in look at me everyone i'm at i'm at guantanamo bay look at all these ghosts they're not going to do that so it would make sense right you have so much young energy so much fear of what is going to you know what your future is going to hold in six weeks you're going to be overseas fighting against people killing people as they try to kill you and you're just trying to look at a nudie magazine for five minutes before the lights go out all of this Psychic energy just filling these places, plus the real-life tragedies. People committing suicides, family annihilations, all of this thing. It's a very, very stressful life on base housing, on bases themselves. 
So it would, would make sense that there were ghosts. The town of Bloodland, we do know, existed. That part of the story, 100% is true. The town of Bloodland was there. It had a population. They weren't told that their town was going to disappear. It was taken over by the U.S. military. That whole part of the story is true. Whether or not the mayor announced it on Halloween, that's kind of a fun detail, but it would make sense because that's when everyone would be gathered together. But I think stepping back from the is the story true thing, there's a more interesting question here, and we'll wrap it up like this. Where in the world did the ghosts get the hard cider? These are ghosts who are actively carrying around liquor that can get you drunk and can go in through your esophagus. It's not ghost liquor. It's not like floating out once you take a big gulp. You're like, yummy, yummy, yummy. And then it's like floating through your cheeks. It's actual liquor. So the ghosts are interacting with a physical object. And that's what I'm saying. Like, did they get it? Did they first? They're all these ghosts are hanging out of the liquor store. They're showing their ID. The guy's like, uh, according to this ID, you've been dead. Actually, now that I think about this, I didn't think about this. And I do got to wrap this episode up soon. The town was demolished not that long before the base was built. So remember, the first, the base was built in 1940. The town was still there. Let's get, because they started building the base in the 30s. So they would have kicked everyone out at the latest, the mid-30s. But let's even push it farther back. Let's say that my dates are wrong. Let's say they kicked the people out in the 20s. And these are all German immigrants, so they were healthy enough to immigrate over to the United States. These weren't like old, decrepit People crawling on a boat. They're like, a better life! A better life! I'm 84 years old! I'm looking for those streets of gold, America! They all come over. They're probably in their 20s, their 30s. They're the residents of this town. We'll put them around the age groups of, say, 70 to 10, right? There's 100 people. You probably have a couple different families there. Multi-generational. We'll say the median age is 30. I'm pulling all these numbers out of my butt, but we'll get to this. Let's say the median age of this town is around 30. I think that'd be fair. And in 1920, they tear the town down. Again, it's later than that, but just stay with me. In that time period, they tear the town down, and then this place starts getting haunted in 1940. 1943 is when the first sighting of this ghost was. There's a pretty good chance that most of these ghosts... If these are the residents of Bloodland that are mad that their town got taken over, they would still be alive. They'd still be alive. If you were 30 in 1920, you'd be 50 in 1943 or, you know, around that. And again, all the, you're, you're pulling out your calculator, then you're throwing away. You're like, I don't even know why I try to check Jason's math. It's always wrong. I don't know what he's talking about. But anyways, my point is, is that they didn't kill everyone at Bloodland. They didn't destroy... Well, they destroyed the German immigrants' houses, but they didn't kill all the German immigrants. They just like were like, see you later, losers. And they're like, oh, man, we cursed this land. So was it actually the... This is interesting. Because as far as we know of ghost lore, a ghost... We covered story recently. A ghost girl showed up to eat a piece of cake. But then the question was, was that a ghost girl or was that something disguising itself as a little girl kind of left that open-ended here we which because normally ghosts don't eat food if this is your first time hearing about ghosts ghosts don't normally eat food it's incredibly incredibly rare to ever find a story like that 
This time we have the ghosts carrying around liquor and forcing people to drink. And when we look at it from the idea of people's spirits who have manifested into the real world, they might be able to move objects. We see that in paranormal activity. In paranormal activity too. But the idea of them carting around liquor and making you get drunk, that's a little beyond what a ghost can do. And this is interesting because if you think about it, it was not the ghosts of the immigrants who were at Bloodland. They were still alive. This would have been something they summoned. Because when you move out of the realm of the ghosts, the departed spirits of a human, which does have a peak power level, into the realm of demons and spirits that have been summoned, not spirits as in ghosts, but some sort of ethereal creature or curse, their power level is, we don't know what the ceiling is to them. It's somewhere in between man and God. It's somewhere in between the infinite and the mortal is where like a demon's power level would be or a spirit, like a a summoned essence would be we don't know what this what the power level is on those so they could if this was i didn't think about this they kept using the word ghost and i kept using the word ghost and that would limit them but if these were some sort of summoned curse something that somebody brought forth from the darkness then yeah they could easily manifest liquor that would affect the human biological system so whatever is there, if this story is true, whatever is there, it's not the ghost of the residents. It may act in that form as this riotous mob that forces you to get drunk to embarrass you, but it's not ghosts. It's something far darker than that. Something far, far more powerful than just the simple wandering spirit. And that's actually great. That's actually great. It's not great for them. It's not great for the guards there. They're like, oh, I'm listening to this podcast. I should be doing guard duty instead I got earpods in. Airpods? Is that what they're called? Whatever. I'm listening to that as, as enemy soldiers are creeping up on one side and ghosts are creeping up on the other. That's actually a great segue for tomorrow's episode because tomorrow we're going to once again visit Fort Leonard Wood to take a look at a sighting that is beyond a ghost. This is a creature a demon, a manifestation of something that haunts the bathrooms. <laughs> Jason, quit, quit doing bathroom episodes. That haunts the bathrooms of Fort Leonard Wood. A dark spirit that's truly chilling. Well, we'll talk about that tomorrow on another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great day, guys.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.